Welcome to the third episode of East World 2024 Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Armstrong, and joining me as always are the Canadian celebrating his 400th episode, who we would never describe as chunky, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. And the guy who regularly warns that things are going to hurt when he gives away money, David Bindley. I am chunky. Oh, what a <sighs> week. Yeah. <laughs> what a crap episode, honestly. Yeah, I, I mean, I was watching this episode yesterday morning, as you guys well know, and the first thing that I sent to you guys, and I think the only thing that I commented on the episode to you guys was, I've got to the end of Rick's speech, fuck off. Yeah. Just fuck off. <laughs> My first note for this episode is, Rick's narration manages to spoil all three challenges without making any of them sound interesting. And then an hour later, I'm like, yep. <laughs> I know I said this last week, but I think this may be a contender for potentially one of the worst episodes we've ever had to podcast about. This was a stinker. Like, it wasn't even terrible, like some of the South Africa episodes last year. But God, it was boring. Yeah, being boring is worse than being good or bad. Yeah, for an episode bad like you can at least have some fun with. Yeah, we can talk about bad episodes. We have talked about bad episodes. This was or just... episodes with terrible twists. Oh, we've talked about plenty of them. Yeah, this is just crap. This is boring. We sort of forgot to mention this in both episodes one and two, but this is our 20th mole season, and this is a real struggle of an episode to talk about. Hmm. It's a shame, because this season felt like it was starting off pretty well, but then we've had two not-great episodes in a row. Yeah, it's not like it's gone off the rails like Jackie did or Renaissance did or pretty much every one of Rick's seasons has. Yeah. It's just that this was really quite hard to mine any fun things to talk about from. Yeah. It's like they learned nothing from last year. They just couldn't figure out a way to take any of these three challenges to that next level that mold challenges require. It's like they had good concepts for challenges, but just didn't know how to up the stakes or just throw in some sort of element in there that really makes a mold challenge a mold challenge. Yeah. Yeah. On the plus side, we do have a lot of non mold stuff to talk about. Mainly, oh, oh my God, how good was Traitors last week? <laughs> Please tell me you've seen it, Saunders, so I can actually talk about it. I just started watching episode, was it episode seven there last night, but I'm aware of what happens. I, and I saw the bonus clip you sent me. Yeah, so episode seven is a contender already for the best episode of reality TV this year. It was a masterpiece, 10 out of 10, zero notes. Excellent. I've still got to watch it. It was, yeah, brilliant. I mean, obviously, mm. if you've not seen it, I'm not going to spoil too much about it, Saunders, but yeah, this week has been amazing. I mean, I do have a few things to refute from the last week because there were a few accusations that people were gaslighting who were traitors and I'm just like, oh my god, you don't know what gaslighting means. They're not gaslighting, they're playing the game. And the other thing is in having six traitors in the entire series, five of them being guys, that is sexist. No, it's not. From a traitor's point of view... If the one female traitor has been eliminated, it makes sense to keep recruiting men because, you know, they're not going to guess that all of the traitors are guys. Mm. It makes it much easier for them to hide in plain sight for all of them to be guys. Maybe the optics aren't brilliant, but also it's not sexism to just go, we're going to keep recruiting guys to save our own position. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're playing into the gender assumption there. Yeah, because 
all of the faithful think there are two traitors left. There are actually three now. And that's probably going to play into whether a traitor wins on Friday or not. This episode obviously comes out literally as episode 10 is airing. But my suspicion is that Ross is going to be a solo traitor win. That's what I'm putting my money on right now. Okay. And we'll play this back to you in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I'm sure you will. Traitors US, I have also caught up on. They did the exact same type of episode as uh, episode 7 was. It wasn't as fun, because the person who went home wasn't as fun to see. It wasn't as much of a shock. As I've said to you guys when I was watching the first couple of episodes last weekend, I feel like if you enjoyed season 1 of US Traitors, you'll probably enjoy season 2. I, however, did not. I think that Alan Cumming is one of the worst choices they've ever had as a host on reality television. Oh, wow. Even worse than Julie Chet? Yeah, he just he just mugs for the camera, and I know he's been told to do that by the producers, and I know that's more of an American sensibility, but hmm. like the show isn't about him. It's not about Claudia. Right. It's not about Roger, although it should be. It's not about Paul or Kareem. It's about the players themselves, and he just kind of inserts himself into it a bit too much, I think. Oh, like a Bo Ryan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm not a fan of US Traders. Although, obviously, the ending of season one was great. It's not the best version of English language traitors that there is. Speaking of Bo Ryan... <laughs> Do we have to? <laughs> <laughs> Bo, that's the weekly Bo Ryan update. <laughs> so we did, we did talk about the trilogy in five parts last week, actually, so technically it is. <laughs> well, it's looking like with the ratings Gladiators is getting, they might be reconsidering giving him another season. Ooh, excellent. Because Gladiators started adequately, but not great. About 400,000 viewers on Monday last week. And then by Friday, it was down to 110,000, which is, as far as I can tell, the lowest rating I've seen for a TV show that hasn't been cancelled. And bear in mind, Mole Australia 6 got cancelled at 550,000. Yeah. What about um, Amazing Race Australia? Uh, So... When they they burnt one off against the Queen's funeral um, because it wasn't rating that well, they decided just to not take it off for the night. That episode got 150,000 viewers, like 158 or something, and then they decided to, you know, get the rest of the season out of the way as quickly as they could, so they ran it, you know, five nights a week or whatever. (laughs) Gladiators this week, I, I don't know what it did last night yet. It doesn't come out for another hour or so yet. But it's basically lost three quarters of its audience since it started. And it wasn't rated that well to begin with. <laughs> yeah, it's slow. Yeah. The even funnier thing is UK Gladiators has come back pretty much at the same time and was the top rated show after consolidation for week one. Mm. It added an extra two million people. It was about eight million consolidated. Yeah. Which is ludicrous. That's higher than I'm a celebrity got last year, I believe. Yeah. And it's really good as well. I watched both episodes this weekend, and it's really, really good. It actually justifies it. Yeah, all right, quit wrapping it in. The other bit of uh, Traitors news as well is I obviously have to give a shout-out to our friend uh, Ivan Brett, who was on Series 1 of UK Traitors. Logan has finally caught up on UK Traitors, and just in time for Ivan to actually recommend us as a mole podcast. So hello to anyone who Ivan's recommended. I apologise that we're, you know, front-loading all the non-mole content again. This is going to happen. Obviously, the biggest news of the week is that Logan's had a haircut finally. God, finally. <laughs> yeah, almost 10 years about. <laughs> oh, wow. 
you had it cut a few months before we met up in 2014. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, about 10 years. So it is, yeah, probably about nine and a half years. And I would also be remiss, last thing that I've got to mention uh, before we actually do talk about mole stuff, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Jeopardy UK again. It's very uncomfortable for me seeing someone successful on a quiz show called Michael who wears loud shirts. He is amazing. We do have a mutual friend as it happens. Oh. Yeah. In, in obviously one of the quiz groups. Um, oh, turns out I do know someone who's friends with him. Um, but we have been conversing about how brilliant his shirt collection is. And it turns out that actually on Friday when, spoilers, he lost, uh, he was wearing a shirt that I also have. Huh. It's all your fault. It is all my fault. Most things are. Friday's episode also did feature a sh- complete shock for me in the form of Matt Barr, friend of the oh. podcast, who hasn't surfaced in... I want to say nine years at this point. I can't remember when Kick of the Nerds UK was on. I think it was about 2015. He did surface then. He is a mole fan. He's a massive fan of the genius as well. And I believe from finding his Reddit that he's also a big fan of traitors. He just randomly came out of the TV wilderness to appear on Jeopardy UK last Friday and, by all accounts, acquitted himself pretty well. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. I Wow, I haven't heard that name in ages. <laughs> yeah, I know. We haven't talked about him since King of the Nerds UK, but he... Um, he is a friend of the podcast, and when I was watching the Thursday episode on like Saturday, and they did the whole next time on Jeopardy, reigning champion Michael Hutchinson faces off against such and such, and Matt Barr from London, and I'm like, that's not the Matt Barr, is it? And I looked at the uh, the picture, and I'm like, holy shit, that's Matt Barr. He hasn't surfaced for nine years. What the hell? Mm. So yeah, weirdly. For the first time in 15 episodes, we've had a friend of the podcast actually on the show and someone who I know, and um, it turns out that he's just kind of surfaced from the wilderness after nine years. Yeah. The other thing that I do want to mention on a Jeopardy UK topic, I know I've mentioned it to you guys, is I joked last week on the podcast that they have been going back in time and stealing things from our episode 500 uh, Jeopardy parody. They literally stole a category and a clue from us. It was that Henry VIII category, right? It was the Henry VIII category. Um, I put it under six, as in the uh, the hit musical six about Henry VIII's wives, but they put it under the category. It was something like uh, that king and his wives. But the top value clue was about the exact same topic that I did the top value clue on that uh, on that Jeopardy game for, which was hilarious to me. Because I'm like, I know the answer, and I told people the answer. It's probably a good thing they didn't steal the Michelle Says What category. <laughs> oh, I really would have loved What is an oubliette? The... What is an oubliette? What is you little shits? <laughs> no, Michelle said what was uh, Bellen, Delinquent, uh, Castlemaine 4X, Shut Up You Little Shit So You'll Get the Hose Again. All the Michelle classics. Yeah. So anyway, should we just talk about Mole if we have to? Fine. Um, so the funny thing about the first task is because we keep joking about how old this cast is and the first challenge takes place Entirely while everyone is seated. No one had to move for the whole challenge. <laughs> and I was thinking, yep. Is everyone, did they modify this challenge? Everyone who has gone home so far has been on the younger side of the Afran Courtius line. It's quite impressive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Justin's gone. What's the age? What's the average age now? Justin, I think, was 28. Yip's the oldest of the three to go so far because she was 30. I think Justin's about 28 and Babs is 26. So we're easily at like 45 by this point, I think. They can't do, they're going to have a tough time doing 
significant i mean not that Vidim does super physical challenges but i'm curious if production is going to consider scaling things down i just have a tough time believing that the first challenge was meant to have just everyone sit in their chair the whole time it just felt like it felt like a a home like a homemade mold challenge it's 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 like a challenge that i could do when hosting at home I made the note. This this feels like the sort of challenge that would have been good on like a online version of the mall, like how we've got um, Survivor Michigan and Taskmaster Minnesota. Like if we had a no budget version of the mall just on YouTube or whatever, this would have been great for that. It's not great television. Yeah, I I don't want to stereotype, but we did have two challenges in this episode that were a pub quiz, which does tend to be frequented by maybe more people on the older side, shall we say, and a crossword yep. puzzle. <laughs> and then the third challenge, half of them got to sit down all, all afternoon anyway. Did I mention my pub quiz experience in Cyprus? I don't no. think you did, actually. So, so I found out about a pub quiz in Cyprus, and I thought, oh, that'd be neat. And this is before I found out that Paphos is just all British expats for the most part. Yeah. <laughs> or half of the population is British expats. The entire Mediterranean coast is expats. <laughs> Hence the pub quiz, because we do love a pub quiz as a national stereotype. So I, I showed up to the pub quiz. I was thinking, well, I've done all my sightseeing. That'd be kind of a fun thing to do, do a pub quiz in another country. So I go in there, and I think there, there was me, three other teams who all knew each other and who were all over the age of 70. I can believe it. And they're all from the UK. Well, the, the good news is one of my many notes from the uh, from the cruise is actually quiz-themed, because I haven't told you how the progressive trivia went. We talked about my mm-hmm. antics with progressive trivia in the past, thanks to the That Has mm-hmm. Been Noted lady, and uh, the How Tall Is a uh, Regulation Basketball Hoop, and what the largest country in the EU is, and I've probably told you about the black and white flag quiz as well in the past. The progressive trivia this time, we had a super team, obviously, with it being me and my brother, who tend to do quite well, and mum and dad. We were leading for three of the five rounds, and we lost by one point on a tiebreaker. Oh, wow. Do you know what the tiebreaker was? Bearing in mind this is on P&O's Britannia. It was in minutes, how long is the film Titanic on a cruise ship? (laughs) Well, it depends if you make it all the way to the end. Do you know the worst thing? We had to nominate one person to do it, and my dad volunteered, even though, you know, me and my brother are better quizzes. Me and my brother got closer than the guy who won, which is really fucking annoying. Dad said, like, mm. 150 minutes. I'm like, it's famously a three-hour film, Father. What the hell are you doing? The hilarious thing about this is that um, the host, who wasn't the best, I'm afraid, she read out what the, the guesses were without telling which team it was, and there was like 157 minutes and uh, 182, I think was the other one. And I cheered for 182. And then when it was revealed that we didn't win, I, all you could hear was just me going, oh, Dad, what the hell are you doing? Then Mum had to tell me not to uh, to tell him off when he came down. I was just quite <laughs> passive-aggressive after that for the rest of the cruise. <laughs> like, you passive-aggressive? I know, never. Yeah, we could have won, Dad, but it's all your fault. <laughs> We've not let him live it down. So, final bit of mole-related admin is the fact that you were quite generous on the bingo card last week, I, I think. I'm not yeah. sure Fuzzy actually did clear the bingo card. I think you were a little too generous for my liking. Um, and there is no Peter Yanker's gamble this week. 
for Fuzzy to lose that. There might be one next week, though. We'll discuss it at the end of the episode. I'm considering offering one for next week. So previously, the final nine ran around the Olympic track in a ridiculously opaque and sabotaged challenge. Five of them climbed a mountain while the other four just laid around all day. For the execution, our Canadian Sensations team lost a member as tragically Yip was sent home and received a torpedo on the way out. Rick asks what the future holds as he's been listening to Steps. Yep, must be patient to find out what the torpedo means. The candidates can shape their future to their will by coming face-to-face with luchadors and travelling the world in Mexico City. But first, a pub quiz. The pot is at €7,750, which they will be able to use as playing money, which was the phrase that made me tell Rick to fuck off. And the episode title is Burning Money. It's still day five. This is one of those challenges where I think it was probably very fun to do, not very fun to watch. Yeah. I have a lot of notes, but none of the notes I wrote down in hindsight is terribly interesting other than who was the guy mentioned in the Macarena song. Iorino is not a name. (laughs) His name is Pecorino. It's the cheesiest of all the songs. I like how Rick said, yeah, it was close It was close enough, so we just gave you the money on that one. <laughs> you just know if it was Art or Pityan or Carol, they would have been like, no, you didn't get it right. Fuck off. I mean, it would have been a very easy banner choice if we just had Pityan glaring at them going, no, we're not <laughs> going to give you Pecorino, that's a cheese. <laughs> just Pityan just staring in the background as Tosca does the Macarena. <laughs> And uh, which American former president had a former version of a Spanish song on their playlist? They all say Obama, and then your own said, well, just tr-. he was trying to rule out presidents, I know, but he says, oh yeah, no way, it's Ronald Reagan. I don't think a single person at that table was thinking, yeah, we've got it down to two people, or Obama or Reagan for who had a Spanish song on their music playlist. To be fair, half of these people were alive when Taft was president. Half of them do make cameos in the frankly fantastic musical Hamilton. (laughs) Playing themselves. Tosca is never satisfied. I I got a question. Why the 30 minute warning? I presume so they could get them sufficiently drunk. Uh. Because Yeroen was flying by the time they started answering questions. He was having a lovely time. He was drunk, and they were still handing out Dos Equis beers and tequila shots. They really zoomed in on the one tequila shot, so I'm thinking, is that supposed to be a hidden clue? I do wonder if uh, tequila would have ended up coming up if they'd done enough songs. They earned too much money. <laughs> so it's the evening of day five, they're taken to a cantina with case narrating. Rick actually bothers turning up to introduce this challenge, and in half an hour they will do a pub quiz. It will cost €200 Euros for the band to play the next song, but each pair of questions that they answer correctly will earn them €400 Euros back. This is a flawed challenge. Yeah. It's also like a little bit confusing with how they explain it, because it's basically 200 if you get it right, 200 off if you get it wrong, and then you can stop wherever you want, really. That's all it is. But they, they explain it in the most confusing way possible. Yeah, it's just needlessly complicated. Just yeah. make it so it's... You don't have to pay anything for the songs, but you get 200 euros if you get a pair of questions right. Stop mm. trying to cost them money. But yeah, it was even with them with them losing money if they get it wrong. It's just, yeah, I don't know why they explain it the way they did, where it's, I'm just thinking, couldn't, couldn't have this explanation be a lot more simplified? <laughs> yeah. If they wanted to cost them money, the way to do it is to say, 
if you're confident in your answers, we'll give you 400 euros. But if you take that gamble, you've got to pay 200. Yeah. That's what I was thinking too. That's the same thing. You can have a, a zero euro to pay option, but you want to get 200 euros. Or if you're really confident, you can gamble 200 euros and double it. That's how I would have done it. Because that is less complicated. It also didn't help that it wasn't really made clear until they were doing the results that it had to be both halves of the same question you got right. Like if it, if it had been, say, you pay 200 per question and then you buy four questions and then you just get six of them right, but the two wrong ones are different questions, you still get three 400 euro things. I'm explaining it even worse than Rick right now, aren't I? Yeah, you are. Um, I had okay. to change my notes halfway through when we saw the results because I just interpreted it as 200 euros per question. But no, yeah, it's yeah, same. 400 euros per pair. Yeah, like I, I got it. I understood, you know, 400 per pair. But I, I thought, well, if you get one question in this one right, one question in the other one right, and then the other two, they still counted. But it was like you had to get the two questions about Desperado right, the two questions about La Bamba right. It was a mess. It was. And the weird thing about this challenge, too, is that they discouraged from... Because they didn't do all of the questions, right? They didn't do the last two? Uh, last four. Or yeah, last four. Last four yeah, so that that also disrupts the fun of the challenge, too, that you're only playing half of the... Just over half of the pub quiz. Then you're just minimizing potential content for a challenge that would be struggling to get content. Because really, the only interesting notes is... Uh, Riem was super quiet in the challenge. Anna encouraged them to spend more money. Uh, Justin really wanted them to to uh, stop spending money. Yeroen was said more in this challenge than he did in the first two episodes combined. <laughs> and Tuska was doing the Macarena a bit too much. And that's about it. <laughs> Another song that I reckon would have turned up had they kept going was probably Despacito as well. I can't oh, imagine yeah. them doing any sort of challenge themed around Spanish language songs and not have it include Despacito. What does Despacito mm. actually mean in Spanish? And Drunk Your Own just pipes them go, slowly! It means slowly! <laughs> <laughs> I, I did love everyone's annoyance at Andre Rio being mentioned. <laughs> oh, it's fucking Andre Rio again. We can't escape him. Yeah, <laughs> He's going to be I, on I, the next season of Vidim. I don't think he's, he's far too famous. <laughs> No, was he big in Canada and UK? I don't. I've never heard of him. Oh, lucky you! He's probably about to be big in Canada. Remember, Canada is still firmly in the late nineteen nineties at the moment. Yeah, that makes sense. It, um, yeah, like you know how there's that stereotype of Eastern Europe being so far behind that you like see an old person that like really huge fans of like Neil Diamond. That's basically Andre Rieu. <laughs> He's a classical musician, Saunders. Yeah. I see. And I, I found out this morning, he has done a cover of the Macarena with Los Del Rio. Of course he has. <laughs> yeah, I know. Andre Rio? Los Del Rio. So they all decide to watch a different quality, and then the band plays La Bamba. Rick asks them what film made La Bamba famous, and they answer La Bamba. Second question is what band made La Bamba famous, and that was Los Lobos. Surprised Rick didn't ask what Los Lobos meant in uh, in Spanish and drunk your own and just go, it means wolves. I know it means lo- lobotomy. <laughs> it means tapito. Despacito, guard this tapito. Rick asks whether they're going to gamble. Justin wants to play conservatively, but he's overruled. 
third question is what country the second song, Guantanamera, was written in, and that was Cuba, hence the name, and the fourth is which president had it on his music list. We go for a third song, and Justin says this is beginning to hurt. Rowan is very up for letting off steam, and believe me, it looks like he already has, and spending money. The third song is Desperado. They're asked who the lead actor in the film Desperado was. Despite Justin's desires, they go for a fourth song. Anna just wants to hear more music, so they go for a fifth, which is, of course, Lacoute Caracha, famous for its cafe. And they know it's about a cockroach and he can't walk. He's in a wheelchair? Yeah, it's about a cockroach in a wheelchair. To be fair, the cockroach is very old. They're going to cast him next season. Uh, drunk your own in case, then cheer when they decide to do a sixth, and it's the Macarena. They stop after six. Songs one and two were correct, as were five and six, so they earn 400 euros of 2,000 for the challenge. And Rick also warns them that evening or in the morning to go through the questions that they answer for the test. I thought, considering you know how many big personalities there are in this group, I thought it was interesting that this challenge was basically Fonz versus Euroan the whole time, and then pretty much nobody else got a word in. I was thinking about this as you guys were talking earlier. All three of the boots so far have been very big characters in their boot episodes. Yeah. Because Babs was a massive presence in the premiere, and then Yip was a massive presence in both episodes, and then Justin's been a massive presence in both episodes two and three. Yeah. Yeah, at the end of this uh, challenge, that's when I put uh, Justin at the very bottom of my suspect list. I thought, no, he's he's not the mole anymore. Yeah. Turns out Logan got something right for once. I did appreciate Justin trying to shout whisper to uh, Fonz during the challenge as well how pissed off he was about them constantly spending money. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what, what this challenge would have been like without Justin there and without Hero in there. They absolutely would have gone to 10 songs without Justin there. If anyone else was in right. control of the part, they would have gone to 10 songs. And we learn that Anna has size seven and a half feet, which is only one size bigger than Euroan, and Justin apparently has no eyebrows. And I would say that's a surprise, but we wouldn't be able to tell. And they are taken to Zona Rosa in Mexico City, and Rosario says that he feels at home in a cocktail bar, and presumably so does Euroan after the previous night. Yeah, that's right. Rick was working as a waitress in a cocktail bar, and he's just as likely to sleep with the clients. Rick tells them they'll be doing a variation on a crossword puzzle, which they must solve using place names that are found at eight locations in the district. Each location is at an intersection where specific candidates must be. If they succeed, they will earn 150 euros per correct intersection, and those specific candidates must then work out which of the two cities on their cards is furthest from Amsterdam. If they complete the puzzle and reveal the hidden word, they will get a bonus 800 euros for a total of 2,000. This was another... Needlessly complicated challenge. Yep. You know what? Uh, you know when I think of today's youth, I think of uh, pub quizzes and crossword puzzles. The irony <laughs> here is, of course, I obviously love a pub quiz, and I do have a puzzle magazine subscription that we've discussed before, Bindles, that literally came through the post this morning. <laughs> yeah. So I'm a 30 year old pensioner at this point. I think it genuinely has adverts on the back for stair lifts. That's the sort of age we're dealing with here. Well, that's understandable. You know what your knees are like. I know. They are. I'm not getting any younger. No. Considering this is, you know, basically the same challenge they broke in the Sand Dunes last year by insisting on staying together as one big group, it's sort of odd that they're making it so easy to get the money in the first part. Yeah, and yet, I don't think it was that possible to get all eight intersections correctly. This is mm. a very difficult challenge to do in 45 minutes and get back and solve the puzzle. Yeah. 
And I don't really understand why they ran around in pairs either, because they had six walkie-talkies. They could have absolutely mm. had two pairs and four separate runners and made it work. They had to be in pairs, right? But then we saw people splitting off. Yeah, we saw people splitting off, and then we had a trio for most of the challenge. It said they had to start in pairs, but after that, as soon as the first whistle goes, I would have gone, well, we've got six walkie-talkies between us, four people split off and do solos and cover more ground. Yeah. So the pairs weren't enforced then, which is no. an odd production decision. You start in pairs, but then after a minute, you don't have to be in pairs anymore. So then why would you want to be in pairs other than, well, we already have this question not locked in on the quiz. So <laughs> the only thing I can think of is they only had four maps. So that required them to sort of be close together a little bit. But also, there's ways around that. Yeah. You look at the map, you work out what intersection you've got to go to, and then you ask someone, can you tell me where London Street is? Yes, mm. thank you. And then you just walk down London Street till you find Geneva Avenue or whatever. <laughs> Imagine if that played out in the episode. That would be riveting television. Where is London Street? It is over here. Thank you, sir. <laughs> it would be deathly boring television, but there is no way to make this challenge interesting. That's what I'm saying. No, Geneva Avenue isn't even a good drag queen name. I mean, we had some pretty amusing questions thrown in here in the envelopes. There were, Mm. and we'll get to them in a minute. But I did also forget to mention that the suspect list bonus question this week is what side of the table people were sitting on in the first challenge, whether it was the side nearest Rick or the side furthest away from Rick. I thought I'd put in a bit of a dickish one this week because, you know, what else is there to actually ask about this episode? I can't do what team was the mole in in the last challenge again for the third week on the track, can I? No. So, the original pairs are Euroan and Case, Anna and Justin, Font and Tuska, and Rihanna and Rosario. Anna and Justin find the first hints, and they're looking for the person who can fast on command, which is apparently Rosario. Mm-hmm. And the person who used to work in a muesli factory, which is Euroan, you have to go to Oslo and Copenhagen. The traditional intersection. Uh, Rihanna and Rosario find the clues of had two chickens named Het and Chantal and is afraid to be part of a cult without realising it. <laughs> that was my favourite one. Yeah. <laughs> it's so oddly specific. Hmm. Like, how do you get into that sort of situation where you go, you know what one of my greatest fears is? It's being in a cult but not realising it. Yeah, that, that's what keeps me up at night. I just start screaming. Ah! You won't believe the nightmare I had last night. I was in a cult, but I didn't know I was in a cult. And then you wake up, drink the Kool-Aid, and then go back to work. Exactly. It was Case with the chickens and Justin with the cult. Fonz and Tuska then clash over the directions. Rosario gets himself lost because he leaves uh, without taking the map from Rianne. (laughs) But he had a really good sense of direction. He has an internal compass. You know, as soon as someone says that, they're immediately going to be proven to be completely wrong, right? Well, I mean, Rosario's a kid, though, in this cast. You know you know how kids are. Yeah. I have in my notes, everyone seemed to be moving around in this challenge with all the urgency of an amazing race team that knows they're four hours behind. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. Uh, Rianne finds, as a guilty pleasure, I watch crocodile films, which is your own, and used to have a tame Jane named Garrett every summer, which is Tuska. Huh. There are some very baffling statements in this challenge. My guilty pleasure is watching alligator movies. Uh, I don't know why. That, that's just weird yeah. to have a guilty pleasure of crocodile movies. 
Saunders, we know that that is not the sort of movies that are your guilty pleasure. No. <laughs> 400 episodes at this point. We know what sort of movies you enjoy unwinding with, shall we say. Imagine that, Eric, in the episode. <laughs> My guilty pleasure is to watch pornos, eh? Featuring Smurfs. I would have made this episode more interesting. What's that about? And the irony here is that my next note is, just like Logan, Tuska finds what she's looking for while looking at an erotica shop. (laughs) (laughs) Because there was a brilliant blink and you'll miss it joke where Tuska's looking for that table for like three hours at this point. And it cuts to her looking at an erotica shop and then she immediately finds what she's looking for. Oh, there's Father Abraham. I think you have to call him Daddy. Daddy Abraham demands it. <laughs> Anna, Rosario, and Yeroen find another one, which is dressed as a Smurf in a shop to sell CDs, which is Anna, and would take chocolate to a desert island, which is Rosario. Tuska then asks who had a pink Citroen KSA, which is Case, and who is ashamed of having a pacifier, which is Rianne. And when Yaron tries asking Case about the cities that they found in their envelopes, Tuska tells him to shut up, and he looks put out. <laughs> Maybe my favourite scene in the whole episode. We knew this was coming from the preview, because obviously it's so good they put in the preview last week. It's still funny when you watch it a few times like I have. Yeah. I also love that like, this cast is so old that the question, who has had the same bike for 36 years, isn't an immediate giveaway. Yeah, There are multiple options to that. Yeah. <laughs> can we can we get it multiple choice? <laughs> I mean, Net- Netflix mold, there wasn't even multiple people who've been alive for that long. Yeah. One thing I did find interesting on the point of who's had the same bike for 36 years is it was explicitly said in the rules that they couldn't open the envelopes until both people were there. Mm. And yet Tuska did and then ran off. Yeah. I don't think they would have got the money for that one. Yeah, I'm wondering whether they would have got the money for that one or not if her partner had had gone to the table as well. I don't think they would. Which is an interesting sabotage because it was not really shown on screen that much. Hmm. Just something to take note of. Anyway, five minutes to go and nobody's anywhere near close to accomplishing anything in this challenge. Yeah, with five minutes left, they head back to the end point and think that the options on the board, which is actually the intersections, is the options that they need to choose from, so the cards that they received were utterly pointless. And I'm sure the mole was just leading them into that if the mole was even in the building at that point. Mm. I wonder if the mole wouldn't have even had to intervene in this challenge, I don't think. They were all so disoriented. Well, two of them didn't even make it to the end point. Yeah. So I'm surprised he got any money for that at all. I like the random street cleaner pushing a bin in the middle of the challenge. I feel like that street cleaner was closer to the envelopes than the than the contestants were. I, I know we said this last season with all the South Africans, but this year the locals are really, really entertaining just sort of watching their reactions to all of this. Because we had the street cleaner, we had the waiter in the pub quiz who looked really annoyed about having to squeeze past the band to drop off Hugh Rowan's next trick. I guess in Mexico, they don't tip as much compared to, compared to the States. He's like, I'm not getting paid enough for this. So Rick actually returns to explain what they should have done and confirm the puzzle was obviously not complete, but they still get four times 150 euros for reaching the intersection. So 600 euros of 2000, which is overly generous. And he also tells them to prepare for the test. I did love that Dutch is like such a nonsense language that Oglese or whatever it was that Fonz was saying almost sounded like he wasn't making a joke. Oh yeah, yeah, I've I've heard that before. Mm. 
It's oddly specific, but I've heard that before. Yeah. It means present. My favourite thing about this whole thing is they'd obviously set it up to be a big victory for the team. They solve the puzzle. They work out that it's hinting that they're going to get questions from the future. But no, they're such failures that Rick has to come back and go, you got literally nothing right. We're giving you 600 pity euros and also prepare for the test. Fuck off. I think pity euros is Logan's name on Tinder. That's pity euros, isn't it? <laughs> Peter Yan's cousin. So it's now time for the test. 20 questions about the identity and actions of the mole who have no least goes out except for the mole who can never go home. We didn't even see where the test was this time. It was just in a random square. Rianne was disappointed to have to do the test. She wanted to do more things. She goes for two scoring the case. Anna's fallen back on her list a bit. Anna suspected both of the two who've gone. She's now on Fonz and Tuska. She's still spreading, so she adds in Rowan. Fonz is still on Anna, and now Rianne and Tuska. Rianne is shouting and puffing all the time about having a tough time. Anna's so intelligent that some of the things she does are just a bit puzzling. And during the assignments, Tuska abandons all rhyme and reason. I know they didn't show where they were doing the test, but we can work it out because it's a street typist area from Amazing Race 3. Yeah, I was about to say, it looks very close to Zocalo Square. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd sort of assumed that it was probably going to be the sort of location Amazing Race had gone to. But yeah, yeah for the first time this season, we haven't actually specifically been told yeah. what it was. Although it is a little bit ironic to do it with all the street typists and just have a laptop there. Maybe they should have uh, manually typed their tests. Would have been a more interesting twist than bringing back future questions again. Really lean into the old people being there. You've got to answer these questions by Morse code. Stop. How's your touch type in Rosario? <laughs> of course, if Belkier had done that twist, they would have scored it to 9 to 5. Oh, yeah. With the typewriter noises in it. Uh, Tuska says that Case was extremely suspicious again today. He was with Rianne, who Tuska also suspects, and with Yeroen, who she doesn't. Yeroen says Tuska and Fonz were very suspicious in the district, just getting nothing done. In 45 minutes, they did nothing. Justin's feels are quite important. His gut feelings often right. He feels the mole is a woman, but quite quickly he panics at two questions, where the mole was in the wrestling assignment and whether the mole was the one to take the tickets from Brick. And the final suspicions are Rosario having a bit of control about his spreading, but the future questions puzzled him. As part of producer Rick's greatest hits tour, he's also bringing about the answer questions about the future twist from last season and also El Salvador, Nicaragua. And then presenter Rick meets the mole and tells him they can now shape the future at half seven, they will be attending a Lucha Libre show, and four of them are going to try and get the wrestlers in selfies. They will forward them to two candidates in a hotel room where they will be identifying who the wrestlers are, and the two candidates on the streets must get descriptions and draw them for those in the hotel room. Each identified wrestler is worth 75 euros for the pot if all four send in selfies with that wrestler. This challenge I have the least amount of notes on. Yeah. This is a stinker of a challenge. Yeah, they... It felt like they were sort of brushing over this challenge in the episode as well. Yeah, it goes by very quick. Like, it's only, what, six minutes of airtime for this challenge? Which, I mean, isn't the lowest of any Venom challenge, but it's interesting that out of the three challenges in this episode, this is the one that editors felt was the least worthy of being shown, given we had a pub quiz and the envelope A or B chase. The weird thing is, like, they start the test with 23 minutes to go because I was looking at it and I'm like, oh, that's early. And then we have, at the end, uh, Justin's the first person to get his results done and it's the red screen. So it's only about three minutes at the end for the actual execution. But somehow they don't spend a lot of time on this and I, I can't work out where all the time went. I mean, I was very 
bored in yeah. this challenge. <laughs> this challenge is impossible to win money on. Yeah, it's one of those ones where it's too hard to win anything, so you sort of don't care because you know they're not going to win any money, so why are you bothering to pay attention? Yeah. So Thomas has just sent me a message on Discord, which is probably worth mentioning in the podcast. He says, it's probably a bit too late for this season to make this joke work, but a bot that posts the word trust at 7.30pm every Saturday, and after a delay posts a reply with nobody. The delay starts at a few (laughs) seconds on week one, and gets progressively longer until by the finale week, the second post is on like Thursday or something. Thomas, you're a genius. It's like that one account in the early days of Twitter that, that sort of... It was one post that was like, I see you shuttering with Antissa. And then about six years later, it came back with patient. I love that idea, Thomas, when you listen to this. It's hilarious. Yeah. And obviously, I do have a problem with the maximum for this challenge being 2025. (laughs) (laughs) I knew it. (laughs) My notes have maximum 2025 viewers. Michael is going to have caps lock words about this nonsense. The whole worst thing about this is it wouldn't be that bad if they'd not done the 1968 bullshit last week. It now makes it very difficult for me to do quick maths on this. Because the maximum for the season so far is 18,493 euros. What the ever-living fuck, guys? You just can't have two odd numbers or even numbers in a row. It's, It's like the other two challenges this episode were 2,000 euros. Just make it 2,000. I know you're hampered by having 27 wrestlers, which is just baffling in the first place, but make it easier. Make it 2,700 euros. Yeah, they're not going to get close, so it doesn't make a difference. You're only losing 25, maybe 75 euros in total. Just give them 100 euros per wrestler. Or or 50. Nice and easy. Yeah, Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking more along the lines of them not being that cheap this season. But give them 100 euros per wrestler and make it easily mathsable please. But yes, Michael is going to have words about this. I can't make this the clip again this week, but Michael is indeed having words about this. Old man continues yelling at pot gains. Oh, God, thank. I, I just swear they do these things to annoy me at this point. Oh, yeah. Papa Bear would. The wild thing about this challenge is this is one of the longer challenges they've done because they reference multiple times that this took two hours to do. That oh, was a wow. two-hour wrestling show. And then they they had to wait for the arena to completely empty out because it already started late at night. They had to wait for the arena to completely empty out to do the execution, which tells me this night went very, very, very late for filming. And that's why I think they only t- I think that's why they only typed in one name just because it was that late. <laughs> yeah, Joseph in the Discord actually is a fan of this Mexican wrestling promotion and has listed all the correct answers in the Bothers Bar Discord, which is very useful. The funniest thing is, if you have any familiarity with pro wrestling, there's Rey Mysterio Jr. is a very famous wrestler, so it's funny that the wrestler dressed as Rey Mysterio is described as being fat. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know why it's like, I don't really associate Rey, because Rey Mysterio Jr. is one of the smallest pro wrestlers ever, and one of the most in shapes, and then you have Rey Mysterio, it's like, yeah, he's the fat one. Yeah, it's very guacamole too. How many more times do you think they're going to reference Euro and being able to speak Spanish? Well, we also found out that Anna could speak Spanish in this episode. Yeah. And then the Fawn's making fun of the selfie. Do, uh, does Rhea know what a selfie is? That's only her nose. Does, does that does that qualify as a selfie in this challenge if it's just your nose? I, I love that this 
this challenge is so so boring that we've sort of just skipped over the most entertaining part of it, which is Rian not even waiting for Rick to finish explaining before she yells out she wants to be sitting down. <laughs> How injured is her foot? Actually, five, five, four people can sit down and five of them instantly volunteer to sit down. Yeah. And then Anna gets really annoyed with it, like trying to get them to reconsider whether they're all sitting. And then for some reason got really, really happy when somebody ended up in the arena for some reason. And I couldn't work out why, unless she wanted to make sure she was outside. Yeah, I think in Rianne's defense slightly, if you're told that half of the group are going to get to go to a uh, luchador match and half aren't, I think you probably volunteer for that pretty quickly, regardless of what the actual challenge is. A luchador challenge should have been really... It's tough to screw that up. And it's surprising to just see how much this fell flat given that there are three different groups. We have many wrestling matches with a lot of action going on, and it's just take selfies while you're seated in the chair. You don't, again, this, this is the second challenge where you have multiple contestants that don't move for, it's a, it went on for two hours. You, it's not like, oh, there could be like a, like a, I'm thinking of the Georgia one with the circus mini game where they have the ridiculous circus where they just, had these random one or two minute breaks to just have a fun little mini game. They could have easily done that during the wrestling match. Like, okay, for the next two minutes, run around and find this uh, luchador mask. It, just something that's active. Yeah, well, Finland uh, did a season in Mexico, right? And they did the Georgia Card House Challenge with luchadors. Like, oh, amazing. Oh, really? Yeah, so they basically set the, the card houses in the ring and then had all the other stuff going around around the outside. It was really, really good. Like, if even Finland can make something more ent- entertaining than Vidim. Even Finland. I mean, for all its sins, Belkia Mexico's um, Luchador Challenge was really fun as well. Yeah. I got some great reactions off that, mainly Katrine being the banner that week. But I don't understand how you screw this up. But this no. was rock hard and actually not that interesting to watch. I'll talk about. It's like how Oregon, you know, made a big deal of the Wild West theme, set up a challenge at a rodeo, and then it turned out just being, oh, just find people with walkie-talkies. It, like, it's that bad. Oregon at least redeems itself for the amazing theme park challenge, though. Yeah. And there was some running around involved, but all the action should have been inside the arena, but that ended up being the least interesting part of the challenge. All of the highlights I have are from Anna and uh, Yeroen going around uh, getting the descriptions of various wrestlers and their and their drawings. That was the only interesting part about this challenge. I, and Justin and uh, Fonz reacting saying, none of these match. are. Is everyone just trolling us right now? Is everyone the mole? Yeah, it's like the church challenge last season with all the chairs except they found a way to make the bit inside the church even less entertaining. Yeah. Where do you think the mole would want to be in this challenge? Oh, I don't know. Boring. <laughs> well, yeah, obviously, I don't know what Bindle's suspicions are, but obviously my number one suspect this week is again Anna. So yeah. I'm going to say it was the drawing, and I'm assuming so is Saunders, because his number one suspect is Anna as well. Yeah. But I think probably not in the arena necessarily. Well, Every position you can screw up enough to stop people earning money, but I think it's probably easiest in either the hotel room or on the street. 
because you've less oversight. I think in the arena, Case and Rosario were so close together that neither of them could have sabotaged anyway. Yeah. Tuska was at least trying, you could tell. And she basically had the one entertaining bit inside the thing where like the wrestler had fallen down on the ground behind her. And she just sort of turned around backwards and just took a selfie from above. I think the argument against them being in the arena is Tuska specifically says that the arena team could do a lot of damage. As if one person mm. sends a bad photo, they it doesn't count at all for anyone. Yeah. So if they're drawing attention to that tactic, it probably isn't the one that the mole used. Yeah, I, I, th- I think the drawing is the easiest part to sabotage. Yeah, for the other two challenges, it doesn't really matter where the mole was, because who gives a shit? But this one, actually, the mole could influence in any of the teams, I would say, but it's probably easiest in the non-arena sides. Yeah. My favourite thing is that out of the possible amounts that they could earn, they earned 3.7% of what was up for grabs. I think that might be one of the smallest percentages ever. I think so. Um, Anything else you want to say about this challenge, or can I just skip through? Case being incompetent should be a drinking game. It is alarming how much the Dutch public still suspect Case, even though he is, I think, second bottom on my list. Or is he... No, he's bottom this week, actually. He is my zero pointer this week. Oh. I mean, it's all pretty close together in the bottom four, I'll be honest, but... Yeah. yeah he's my zero pointer this week, because I genuinely cannot see him being the mole right. Uh, Volcano's described as junkie, which I think is quite offensive to one of the gladiators at this point. Justin and Fonz think they completed five sets of possible 27, and Rick meets them in the ring and tells them, nope, you only completed one. So you earn 75 euros of 2,025 for the pots, 1,075 of 6,025 for the episode, and 8,825 of 18,493 for the season so far. And now immediate to the execution, which is Justin, because he's the first name typed in. He gets an instrument screen. Gone. He gone. He gone. He gone, and the pot is gone to funds with the missing money returned. We should have got a shot where Justin and Rick had to awkwardly climb out of the ring to go to their exit interview. <laughs> Tumble out like a wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> over the That was over the top rope. <laughs> what they should have done is done it Russian roulette style and just, just had Justin's uh, chair disappear. Yeah, into the pit below. I'm sorry, you've been shafted. He should have been clotheslined by a luchador over the top rope after being executed. <laughs> that would have been the most memorable. That would have been the best part about the whole episode. Basically, what we're advocating for is 101 ways to leave a mole show. Yeah. Yeah, or to have two luchadors. So it was two, it would be two of them and they'd be tag teaming him, clotheslining him over the top rope. And instead, we got Rick awkwardly talking to a gay Venom contestant in the bowels of a stadium. So it must have been Thursday. I also love how the previously segment did not mention Justin hiding 250 euros at all, and that it just randomly appears at the end of the episode when he gets executed. There's literally yeah. no mention of it for the rest of the episode. It's hilarious. Hmm. We even got that song in the preview. So what's the pot at now? <laughs> uh, the pot is currently 8,825 euros of a massively possible 18,493, which is definitely fulfillable in all of their mole money. Mm. And on the way out, Justin receives the final torpedo and is then driven off. Next time, Fonz rings the Topo helpline and lies about getting a yoker. Everyone counts squares in a boat, and a surprise box is opened. 
no sign of any resolution to the fortune teller thing, which was surprising. No, so there were three boxes when Euron opens it, which yeah. makes me think it's going to be something to do with them. They are all mm. different neon colours again, like I pointed out last week. My suspicion on it is that they're going to have recorded messages and the group gets to see one of them, which is what they unlock and what they're losing their shit over. Yeah. I don't think anyone's getting brought back next week. If no. they do, it is going to break the suspect list a little bit. So yeah. I kind of hope they don't. Um, we don't want to do a live test on whether we can actually un-eliminate people on the suspect list. But this then leads into the potential Peter Yanker's gamble. Do you think I should offer Fuzzy the Peter Yanker's gamble of whether someone is brought back? Uh, I don't know. My gut feeling is no. It's obviously not as interesting as will Logan lose the first person again, because that's obviously hilarious. But, um, yeah, it was just one that I thought of. I was trying to think of one potentially for next week, because we didn't do one this week. What about will they finally get out of Mexico City next week? Well, it certainly looks like it, because it looks like they're in some sort of... Well, they're in a watery area, aren't they? So they must be... There must be somewhere outside of Mexico City. Hmm. We'll have a think about it. Yeah, we'll think about it. uh, We've got till probably, like, Wednesday, Thursday to actually decide... Hmm. So with Justin going home, I've lost my first person on the pool, leaving me with just Anna and Tuska. Logan's still got Fonson, Euron, and Michelle inexplicably is the only one still with a full team, with Case, Rianne, and Rosario. Justin going home now means that my team drop to 4.03 as an average on first suspicions, 3.93 including us, doing all the adjustments. The order's now Anna, Fons, Tuska, Rianne, Case, swapped with Euron, Case is now ahead, and Rosario. Two people, which was Mariana and Alan, lost their first suspicion with Justin going. No one had him in ninth or 10th, but Walter, Libai, James, Jason, and the Dutch public all had him in 8th, which was the highest score. Storming into first place is Walter with a score of 31, where the lowest possible is currently 28. And on the other end of the scale, with a score of 41, are Alan and our very own Logan Saunders. And the only reason you're still in last Saunders is because you still put Rianne below Babs. In 10th place. (laughs) I see. Otherwise, it would just be Alan on his own. The Dutch public suspect Anna with 21%, Case with 20%, Rianne with 16%, Euron with 14%, Font with 12%, Tuska with 11%, and Rosario with 6%. Final two questions, as is traditional. Who do we suspect, and who's going home next week? Uh, So, my suspect list. Anna, then Font, then Case, then Rianne, then Euron, then Tuska, then Rosario, and then I had Justin last, but he got executed. And I think I think we're going to say goodbye to Rosario next week, like we've kept saying for the past two weeks. <laughs> I got it. Anna, Tosca, Fons, Rian, Euroan, Case, Rosario. And I think we're getting rid of Rian next week, if anyone. And my order is Anna, Tosca, Fons, Rosario, Euron, Rianne, and Case. <laughs> so me and Bindles are almost at Ed School there, which is hilarious. Yeah. I can't shake my Anna suspicion, obviously, because I need to just go full beans until she inevitably gets eliminated in like fifth or sixth place, which is traditional. Yeah. Tosca jumped up the list just because she had some very interesting moments this week and very interesting quotes mm. and maybe a couple of sabotages that we might have spotted. Obviously, she loses points from the, oh, yeah, the mole was definitely in the arena thing. Yeah. But that could be a double bluff still. So she is still my second place. And with Justin going, I was the only person who had Justin in the top three last week. Fonz has kind of moved up by default. I don't really think it's him. But nah. 
I have to put someone there. This is the last week of triple suspicions, so next week we go down to two anyway. Although I'm going to have real trouble finding a second person next week, probably. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be hilarious, isn't it? I do think probably that it might be a non-elimination next week. I don't think anyone's coming back, but yeah. I think I think there'll be obviously something to do with the combined triple torpedo that might work as a group exemption or something, mm. as with the last time that we saw a, um, a torpedo appear on this show in Hong Kong Philippines. Uh, have you guys got anything else you want to say? No. I'm kind of just tired after how boring this episode was. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we do have to hope for a better episode next week, but also one that we don't talk about forever, because, you know... They are standing. They're on their... In the preview, it seemed like they're standing in each challenge. I mean, we did... Well, that's an improvement. We did have a contestant that sat uh, two out of three... Or we had multiple contestants be sitting for the entirety of two out of three challenges this week, so... Yeah. Anything that gets contestants up on their feet is, is a victory this season, apparently, and somehow a rarity. Yeah. Although, to be fair, a couple of weeks ago, some of them spent an entire challenge in bed. That is true. <laughs> Sit down. If you if you stand up, you lose money for the group, for their podcast. I don't, I don't get up for less than 1,968 euros. Oh, fuck off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you for listening to our VHTML 2024 recap. We'll be back next week to continue the hunt for another new mall in Mexico. Don't forget, you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are, TV Warriors. Or you can email us and contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan is on the artist formerly known as Twitter at Logsquacky. Bindles is the Grim Recapper, and I'm MJ Harmstone. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash rtvwarriors. Thank you as always to Marika for the subtitles, and we will see you next week. Logan? Oh, uh, that, that's how boring this episode was. I just completely... No, just kidding. Uh, peace out, and just chill till the next of flavoring. That's how boring this episode was. I just completely... <laughs> we all just completely... <laughs> <laughs> Warm her hands up and rub the head. <laughs> <laughs>